Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. So good, so good. I think that's a message we need to hear today. I, I'm gonna see a victory. I, I think if you've been watching the news over the last few days, if you've been watching the news over the last 11 weeks, it just, I think we need to see a victory somewhere. The last 11 weeks, it's almost like COVID has dominated everything. I mean, it shut down our businesses, it shut down economies, most of all, it shut down our churches. And, and I think we're all looking at it saying, what, what is going on? And then it's almost like a few days ago, COVID went silent. I mean, senseless killing of George Floyd gives way to all kinds of craziness that happens in the media. And we see the protests that happen, some peaceful and some violent. Then it gives way to riots and everything that happened last night. If you were watching the news like I was last night, it was overwhelming. I was overwhelmed with just sadness and, and even the lack of understanding of just how far this has gone and how we've let it get this, to this place. And I think we stand there today and I think there is nothing better that we could do simply in this moment than to come together as a church across hundreds of locations in hundreds of homes, maybe even some Sundays, thousands of homes across our, our region, across our state, even across our country, and just lift our hands in unity and pray. And ask for God to just simply invade our hearts and invade our homes and invade our country and just overcome the division that we see. A song had a line and it says, there is power in the mighty name of Jesus. And I just wanna ask you right now as we begin, just to bow your heads and close your eyes, lift your hands, and let's just pray for unity in the name of Jesus together, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, I thank you that you know the difficulty that each and every one of us is feeling today. Father, I pray that as we look at the division across our country, Father, I just pray for peace and I pray for unity. And there's no other idea, there's no other philosophy, there's no other anything in life except for the person of Jesus Christ that has been able to bring people of all sides of division and walls that are built, bring them to a place of unity. And so, Father, break down the walls. Father, for those who have been hurt by the difficulties that have happened and the atrocities and the injustices that have happened to people of certain colors of skin, Father, I pray that you would just bring peace into their lives. And Father, for those who have not experienced that, bring understanding. Father, bring grace. Allow us to be voices of truth and grace and unity and reconciliation and to listen and to see and to understand. And then, Father, I look at this virus thing and Father, I just pray simply that it is beautiful to see how your church continues. Father, I pray that your church will stand up. It will not take sides, but it will stand up for the gospel and the mission. And Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ and the power in the mighty name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you would destroy this virus, that you would open up our churches, that you would open up our businesses, that you would restore life, but you would help us to learn from the situations that have happened. And so, Father, we just pray all these things, and we pray that as we dive into the book of 1 Corinthians, that you will teach us out of your scripture what you want us to be according to the gospel. It's in Jesus' powerful and precious name that we pray. Amen. You know, as I was going to start the message today, it was interesting. There was one announcement that I needed to give that I thought really sounded relevant uh, about a week ago. It had to do with COVID and opening our doors and what does that look like? And you're all curious about that. But in light of the last few days, it almost seems irrelevant. But I would say this, it's really important. And so many of you have been asking the question, you just continue to ask, and we continue to update, and there's more information, but when are we going to open the doors of this place? And, and I would say this, I am tired of being able to go to Home Depot with you, but not be able to walk into the doors of the church with you. 
And so I'm looking forward to the days when we can open the church. But, but the answer to that question is simply this. I wrote an email this week and said this line that we're going to open the doors to the church when church can feel like church again. And I, I was reading something this week in 1 Corinthians as I was preparing that I thought was really interesting. And it was a reminder because I was feeling the angst that everybody else is feeling. And I was reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and I get down to verse 11 and it says that Paul was writing to the church that met in Chloe's home. And all of a sudden it just kind of clicked for me in this moment. It's just like Matt talked about last week that the, that the gospel is not about the method, about whether we can open the doors and gather in a building or not. It is about the mission. And the mission of Jesus Christ spread in the early church, it says house to house. They met just like you did. And I think right now in this moment, it reminded me that we probably look more like the church of Jesus Christ that he had his disciples start in the first century than we've ever looked in Rocky's history. And so while there is frustration and we do want to get back, here's what I'd say. We're going to open the doors when church can look like church. And let me ask you this, what looks more like church? Is it opening the doors and for us to walk in with all the restrictions and only have about a third of the amount of people that can gather, that normally gather in any service? To have no children's ministry, to have wear masks the entire time, even while we're worshiping, no touching. Man, Christianity, it's a touch and fellowship and connection and warmth religion. It's all about fellowship. And do we want the first impression of our guests that have been wanting to come through the doors of our building to be to walk into all the restrictions that we have to have in place here? Does that sound like church? That does not sound like church to me. I'll tell you what does sound like church. It sounds like me and my family inviting our neighbors over or calling our small group and saying, hey, you know what, this next week it's probably opening up. How about next Sunday we gather? Let's have brunch or let's have barbecue and let's send the kids outside to play and let's laugh and let's gather around the table and let's talk and have much needed conversation face to face. And then at 9.15 or 10.45 or 7.30 at night, like we're starting another live service tonight at 7.30, we gather together in the living room or wherever and we turn on the TV and we worship together. And at the end of that, man, we look at each other and we say, that was awesome. Man, let's do that again next week. That, to me, sounds like church. And so for, for you just to know, our elders and our, our leadership team are united around the idea that we're going to take this one month at a time. And what we can see is the month of June where we are encouraging you to do church in your home as the early church did in small groups. And we've got a value around this place called Irresistible Community. It's so funny, we wrote this uh, months and months ago, before COVID even came around, and it says simply this, it's the idea that we journey with others beyond what? The building, knowing life happens best in community. We get out of the rows, and we get into circles in homes, and we meet together and drive the idea of community and relationships and connection deeper, because that's how Jesus did ministry. And so in this moment, what we're simply asking you to do is if you don't have a small group, man, we want to encourage you. That's a major value for us. And we're starting on June 11th. You've got time to sign up right now. You can see it in the comments. Or you can go to our website. Sign up for Rooted. Ten-week Bible study. Love for you to be a part of that. You need to sign up for Rooted and get into community. And for the rest of you, if you have a small group, do church with your small group. Brunch, barbecue, and small group, man. Fantastic way to do June, okay? And then if you don't have a small group, and if you're not doing Rooted, what I encourage you to do is invite a neighbor or a coworker or a friend to come over and experience church 
and get to know us and get familiar with us. And so when the restrictions are lifted, we can flood back into this place. Now, my hope is going to be soon. But until then, let's keep the mission focused in our mind and let's go after it together. So this week, we start a new series called Culture Shock on 1 Corinthians. Here's the idea. Culture shock is the idea of the shock that happens when you are removed from one environment and put into another environment. So when I was a young kid, I, I moved from uh, Oklahoma, which the culture there was belt buckles, cowboy boots, wranglers, and rodeos. Like you may be from Oklahoma and it may be something else. That's what it was from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, where I lived. That's what I was involved with. And so we moved from Bartlesville, Oklahoma to Southern California. And I don't know if you've been to Southern California and Bartlesville, Oklahoma, but they're different. Like polar opposites, culture shock and a half. I walk into Southern California, all of a sudden, and I realize really quickly, it's not belt buckles and blue jeans and Wranglers. It is bleached hair, vans, right? Bleached hair, vans, surfboards, or skateboards, no matter where you live. And so I realized that that probably wouldn't fit me quite as I was working into this new culture, but it didn't take me like two days to look at my mom and say, Mom, you are taking me shopping now because I do not fit into this new culture and I got to figure out a way to fit in or I'm going to get slaughtered at school. Here's the issue that was happening in Corinth. Same kind of issue. The culture shock that was happening was that you had a group of Christians that were living in Corinth in a very secular society who turned to Jesus through the preaching of Paul the Apostle, and all of a sudden, they stepped from here to over here. They became a part of not the culture of Corinth, but they became a part of the kingdom of God. But the problem that existed in Corinth with the Corinthian Christians is they kept their feet in both places, in both cultures. And they began to be pulled apart and to drift. They were trying to live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the culture. And I don't know if you've noticed, but just like Bartlesville, Oklahoma is different than Canoga Park, California, the kingdom of God is different than the culture of the world. They don't mix. And so what we're going to study in the next six weeks 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long, but we're going to take it in six weeks because we're going to take six different ideas that talk about how we live in the kingdom of God. And if we live in the kingdom of God, we have the potential to influence the culture of the world. I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, if you're looking for the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament... You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about three-quarters of the way back in your Bible. Then you'll go on to the book of Acts, which is a book of history. It talks about the church. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are, are the gospels, the story of Jesus' life. Then Jesus says to the disciples, go start the church. And so the book of Acts is this history book where they start the church. And you see Paul going around to different cities like Corinth and starting churches. And it's this whole history of how the church started in different cities across Europe and Asia Minor and a guy named Paul who's starting these churches. And he writes letters. So the books of Romans and then 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians are these letters that Paul writes to churches and church leaders about how to respond to the culture around them and be the church that God intended. So here's what happens. 1 Corinthians start, uh, chapter 1, starting verse 1 through 3, says this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes, 
I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by the means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me give you a little context. Here's a context for the book. Paul's the author. We said that already. Paul was a guy who hated Christians. He was a religious leader in the Jewish religion of Judaism, and he hated anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed the Messiah was still coming, it just was not Jesus. So anyone who believed in Jesus, the resurrected Christ, he got warrants for their arrest, he arrested them, threw them in jail, and had many of them killed and executed for their faith. All of a sudden, Paul, with warrants for arrest, is heading on the road to Damascus, he sees Jesus in a vision. Falls off of his horse, there's a bright light, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, his former name, why are you persecuting me, Jesus the Christ? I am real, I am the Messiah. And Paul has this life change moment. Goes from there, not only becomes a Christian, but he becomes the greatest missionary of all time and the greatest church planner of all time. And so as we said, he goes from Jerusalem because the Jews will not accept him because he's turned from his religion. And he goes out to the Gentile areas up around Asia Minor, it was called at that time, and then Europe. And he goes from city to city to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and he begins to plant churches. And he shows up in a city called Corinth. And if you see a map of Corinth, or see a map of the area, the biblical area where Jesus was, you can see it down on the right-hand side would be Jerusalem, that in Israel where Jesus was crucified and all the different things around the biblical story. But then you go up and around and you can see a red dot where you see the the city of Ephesus. When Paul writes to Corinth, he's in the city of Ephesus. He was in Corinth for a year. He trained and, and prepared and mentored leaders to keep the church going, and then he left and went to Ephesus. And so while he's in Ephesus, he receives a letter, and he sends a letter back in response addressing some issues in the church in Corinth, and you can see where Corinth is. If you go directly across to the left, you'll see the city of Corinth. It's in Greece. Now here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was a modern city. It was a beautiful city. Corinth was a city that had um, all kinds of arts. It was a very cultured city. All kinds of arts, philosophy, education, and many, many different world religions. But the biggest thing about Corinth is when they looked at people who were immoral, they had a tagline or a name for them. They'd say, that man, that person over there, he's a, Cor- he's a Corinthian. It was kind of the idea, Corinth was so immoral There was so much that went on with sexuality and so much that went on with philosophy and all these things were so immoral in how they were used and the ideals that they had that people actually called people who were immoral people Corinthians, whether they lived there or not. So it's kind of the idea of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? And so Paul writes to this group of people because what was happening in Corinth is they were living with one foot in the culture, this secular horrible Corinthian immoral culture and one foot in the kingdom of God and what happens when you live in the culture try to keep the culture and be influenced by the culture and also be influenced by Christ one wins out and the culture was dominating and winning out and it was causing walls and divisions in the church and starting at verse 10 here's what it says Paul's writing to a house church and he says I appeal to you Dear brothers and sisters, people I've spent time with, that I love, I'm invested in. He says, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. 
Let there be no divisions, no walls in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in one thought and one purpose. For some members of Chloe's household, the church in Chloe's house is just putting up the warning sign about all the house churches that are happening in Corinth. It says, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. And Christianity is supposed to be a religion. It is supposed to be a relationship that is based upon a connection with Jesus Christ that provides unity to a body of believers and people. But because they were living with one foot in the culture and one foot in the kingdom, what was happening to the church in Corinth is they were creating all kinds of dividing walls within the church. And you look around at our community right now, you look around at our country right now, you see what's happening on the news, we are divided. You look around at our churches right now, we are divided. And Paul says there is one thing that unites us, and that is Jesus Christ. And if we don't get into the kingdom of God and align ourselves with Jesus, we will drift with the culture. And here's what had happened. They had drifted and created walls around five different issues. And the issues were these, loyalty to leaders, inappropriate sexual relationships, eating food sacrificed to idols, unity and equality in worship gatherings, and belief in the resurrection. And we would look at that right there and we would say that probably loyalty to leaders, maybe we could see that in the church, and belief in the resurrection, maybe there's some people that have difficulty with that, but you look at these other things and, and inappropriate sexual relationships, but that was so contextual with what was happening in Corinth, it's almost like you have to dive in and understand the context to understand the walls that were being, de- being developed. And here's what was happening in Corinth. The new Christians in Corinth were drifting toward the culture and building walls away from Christ in the idea of loyalty to leaders. Some people in the church were saying, man, I follow Paul. Some were saying, no, no, man, Apollos is a better preacher than Paul, so I follow Apollos. And then others were saying, man, Peter started this whole thing, so I follow Peter. And Paul's just stepping back and saying, guys, we're all servants of Christ. You follow Christ. Your loyalty should be to Christ, he should be the one we align with. Then inappropriate sexual relationships, believe it or not, in the city of Corinth and in pagan worship all over that area, not just in Corinth, sexuality was used in worship. Even prostitutes were used in worship. And so there was inappropriate sexual relationships that were happening inside the church. The people in Corinth that were coming out of the culture were saying, hey, this is where we come from. What's wrong with this? And God's a God of grace, so why won't he just forgive all of this? This is understandable. And Paul is saying, no. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has called you to a higher standard. You are to keep your body and God's temple pure. And we can go on through the different issues, but it was all an issue around alignment. Alignment with Jesus or alignment with the culture. And if you look at today's church... Man, we have dividing walls around all kinds of things. We have dividing walls around denominations. We have dividing walls around worship and how we experience styles in worship. We have dividing walls around political affiliations and positions on COVID. And we just go down the road on so many different things. And what Paul is saying here is the number one thing we need to be aligned with is Jesus Christ. Because when we are not, we drift with the culture. I think sometimes we unconsciously drift with the culture. When I was a kid, I said that I moved to Southern California. And so 
we moved to Southern California, what do you do? You go to the beach to hang out with your family. And I took a couple friends, went with my family. We set up our little camp there on the beach. And there was tons of towels and people set out and hanging out. And, and you could hardly pick out your family. It was so, it was so busy and, and full. And I remember we went out in the waters. And one of the first times I'd been to the ocean, I was a good swimmer. So my parents were like, just go for it. All my friends were good swimmers. So we're out there. We're boogie boarding and, and body surfing and hanging out in the surf. And we're having a great time for it seemed like hours. What I didn't realize is this little thing called riptide. And the riptide didn't pull me out, but what the riptide did is it drifted me down the beach. So every time we would come in on our boogie boards or body surf in, we would just shift a little bit down and we had no idea. We were totally unconscious. Had no idea that this was happening. We drifted so far down the beach that we landed about a mile from where we had started. We got out. We had no idea of our surroundings. I had no idea where my family was. And we began to walk back up that beach and try to figure out where we were. We had drifted without knowing. You see, if you look at, there's a graphic that I want you to see that if you simply look at this graphic, you'll understand what I mean when we talk about the idea of cultural drift. When you look at the idea of horizontal alignment. See, a lot of times what happens in our life and what was happening in the Corinthian church is we begin to align ourselves with the people around us, the backgrounds we have, the culture that surrounds us. And when that happens, there is a subtle drift that begins small, that begins to shift us, and all of a sudden, before we know it, we are a mile down the road with culture and away from Christ. And there has to be something that centers us in, that teaches us where we should be in relationship to culture and where we should be in relationship to the kingdom of God. And here's what happens. When we culturally drift without knowing it, here's what happens in things like COVID and race and politics. We build walls. We stop listening. And anger turns to hate. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Some of the deep-rooted division that we see in our country right now has been there for centuries. It will not be fixed in a moment. It will not be fixed anytime soon. But it is a moment where we need to align ourselves, not with where we come from, but align ourselves with the Jesus who created every single one of us. No matter where we come from, what color skin we have, who created us equal, who loves us, who listens to us, who feels our hurt and pain. And for us, we must align or we will drift. And when it comes back to not just issues that we see on the news, but it also comes back to our personal lives. And you take things like parenting. Man, I'm a parent of a a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old. As I look at my kids getting older, what I am seeing, that it is easy for parents to drift, because parenting's not easy, right? And we all want to be friends with our kids. We all want to love our kids. We all want to make our kids happy. And we look around at our friends and other parents, and we see that they are allowing things with our kids that are probably not aligned with God. They're aligned with the culture. And so it is easy for us in our parenting to stop fighting the battles for respect, to stop fighting the battle for modesty, to stop fighting the battle for appropriate entertainment or healthy guidelines for dating or participation in their faith or in church because no one else is. And our culture downplays it. Our culture makes fun of it. Our culture says it's old-fashioned. And we wonder why there is lack of respect 
And our kids are disconnected from us and disconnected from their faith when they grow up. And you go on from parenting and you go things like sex. And it is easy to give in to this casual sex culture of sex before marriage and living together in porn because the culture has normalized all these things. And we wonder why there's lack of commitment in marriage and relationships. And we look at money and life is about getting more money and and more and more money and spending it on yourself and making life comfortable as possible. And we wonder why generosity of Christians is no different than generosity of non-Christians. And we look at friendships and we are the average, studies say we are the average of the five closest friends we have. And when your close friends are culturally relevant but biblically and spiritually irrelevant, you wonder why you struggle to stay committed and consistent in your faith. You see, when it steps back, when we step back, horizontal alignment with the culture leads to spiritual drift. And what God has set in line is he has set a plan for every single one of us in the areas of our spirituality, in the areas of our relationships, in the areas of our sexuality, our emotional makeup. Every single thing that God sets in place for us is for you to have the best life possible. God even described and says, I want to give you the abundant life. And what we want to do is we want to take control. And we want to align and be like everyone else. And what it does is it causes us to drift away from the alignment with God that is created to give us his best. And there has to be something. What Paul is writing here is he's saying there has got to be something that aligns you and keeps you from drifting with the culture that allows you to experience God's best. When I was walking up that beach, I saw my dad. And he was coming toward me, and I was coming back up the beach. And I wasn't really excited because I knew he was probably ticked off and indefinitely worried. And, and we met in the middle, and he said, man, where have you been? And I told him what happened. We were swimming, and we just got out. And then he explained Riptide to me. And he's like, it pulls you down the beach. And we walked all the way back. And I couldn't believe how far it was that I drifted. But we walked all the way back to our towels and our camp. And we sat there, and my dad looked at me, and he pointed and at this thing in the, in the distance. And he said, that's a lifeguard station. He said, from now on, when you swim in the ocean, you keep your eyes on that lifeguard station and on that number, and you won't get lost and you won't drift. And what Paul does in the whole first chapter of 1 Corinthians is he's like, this is the lifeguard station. Like right now, you're drifting with the culture. You have nothing to keep you set, to keep you from drifting, and you've got to figure it out, and here's what it is. And Paul directs them to verse 30 and 31, and then all the way through to verse 2. He says, God has united you with Jesus Christ. For your benefit, for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Like all the opinions out there, I'm amazed how the opinions change on everything daily, by minute, by second, it seems like right now. And the one thing that has stayed con- con- constant is the truth about Jesus Christ. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and has freed us from our sin. Therefore, as scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And Paul just wraps this thing up here and he says, Before we get into the book, before I deal with all of these issues, let's get the playing field straight. Right now you're in a situation where you are drifting all over the place and there's nothing to keep you set. 
set on Christ. And Paul goes through the first chapter and he mentions the name Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus 20 times in 31 verses. And then in chapter 2, he wraps up that section in verse 2 with the picture of the cross. And you just take that illustration of me drifting down the beach and then my dad bringing me back and saying, that's the lifeguard station. Whether you call it the lifeguard station, whether you call it a stake in the sand, whether you call it a compass, what Jesus is, is he is the stake that aligns us with God, that vertically aligns us with our relationship with God. I want you to see this next picture. This next picture, we all drift and we will be pulled toward the culture, but the only thing that will keep us united together and that will keep us connected with Christ and in line with him is if we set our sights on Jesus. Paul says in another book, the author and perfecter of our faith, he says, man, follow me as I follow Christ. So when it comes to the issues that we look at, what Paul's simply saying is you're going to drift culturally, but you must stay connected vertically with Jesus and he will keep you in line with God. Here's how this works out. The way this works out is aligning ourselves with Jesus or thinking like Jesus or addressing these issues like Jesus means that we connect this way. When it comes to race, we acknowledge that we are all equally created and equally loved, which means we don't see color, we see people, and we see, we hear, and we listen to those who have experienced things that we have not experienced due to the color of our skin. When it comes to parenting, When it comes to the parenting and the issues that we have with our kids, it means that we fight the fight. That we stay vertically aligned with God and we say, God, what do you want from my child? Not what feels good with my child. Not what does my child want. Not what other parents are doing. But what do you want me to do and how do you want me to lead this child? And we teach our kids that dating a Christian is a non-negotiable. We teach our kids that modesty is a non-negotiable. The purity, respect, and faith in Jesus Christ and participating in his church leads to God's best for us. When it comes to sex, we reject the casual sex culture. We honor our partner by waiting until marriage. We keep our marriage vows by committing to our spouse only. And we keep our mind and our body and our eyes pure because they belong to God. We look at our money. We become managers of God's resources God's resources become a tool to care for our family, to bless others and support God's missions, mission. And we realize that Christians ought to be the most generous people in the world because we serve a generous God. And if you're a high school student, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, you need to listen to this last one. Simply the idea of friendships. That we understand that we are the average of the five closest friends we have and when we are vertically aligned with Jesus the closest friends we have we're going to have friendship with so many people we need to influence people in the culture and people who are not Christians but the five closest people that sit around your table need to be people that are vertically aligned with Jesus and not horizontally aligned with the culture man I look at my life and I look at the mentors I have in Alan Algram the friends that I, the mentors I have in Alan Algram and my dad, I look at them, the friends that I have in, in Jack Nugent and others and our elders that we have at this church and our lead team and our staff and, and people. And then I look at my small group that I meet with every Thursday and I look at all those people and they are vertically aligned. Do I have friends at the gym? Do I have friends in basketball stuff and other things that we do that do? Yes. Am I close to some of those people? Yes. But the people I am closest to that influence me the most 
are vertically aligned with Christ. And I'd ask you simply today, who sits at your table? Who sits at your table? Who's most influential in your life outside of your immediate family? Who sits at your table? And 1 Corinthians is simply a reminder that vertical alignment with Jesus eliminates spiritual and cultural drift and it gives us the opportunity for God's best life in us. And let me just get a little personal for you on this. Man, as I look around at churches and the difficulty that's happening in our world right now, I think the church has lost influence. And I'm saddened by it, disgusted by it, and I think church has lost influence because so many Christians, so many churches, so many people that claim to be vertically aligned with faith are culturally stepping into the world and building walls all over the place, and we are losing our voice. And it is time to quit taking sides and start standing up. And I just encourage you, if you're a person out there right now, if you've never aligned your life with Christ, and you're looking at life and saying, man, I, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be something better than what I see on TV. It's got to be something better than what I experience in my relationships. There is something better. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ and committing our life to that where he aligns us in this world to experience God's best and to influence the culture toward God. And all you simply have to do is say yes to Jesus. To say yes to being baptized. To say yes to following Jesus and to be a part of his church. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, then I challenge you to ask yourself, where have I drifted? Because there will be no philosophy There will be no political leader right now that will jump up and reunite our country and bring all the divisions and all of it. It will be the church of Jesus Christ that unites itself around aligning itself with Jesus and seeing life the way Jesus sees life through our parenting, through our sexuality, through our relationships, through our influence, through how we address the divisive issues in our world. It will be the church if the church would unify around Jesus. Tony Dungy, I posted this yesterday. I saw some friends posting it. I thought it was a beautiful word, and I'll only share part of it. But with all the division going around, here's what Tony Dungy posted yesterday. Amazing coach, amazing Christian man. He said, today we are divided, a divided country. We are divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us. Because this is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. Well, what is the answer then? Here it is. I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and to demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow. Jesus Christ. We can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Christians, I would just challenge you this. Number one, quit taking sides. And we need to start standing up for what is right and vertically align ourselves with Jesus. But I'd also say this. God may have the doors of this place shut right now. So that we can be spread out into our community. Not in our holy huddles, but into our community where people are. To invite them into our homes to share the love of Jesus Christ. And to show them what vertical alignment with Jesus looks like. The peace that it brings. And so until we can gather together again, no more sides. Only standing up and saying the cross of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, I resolve to know nothing except Christ 
and him crucified and the love and the sacrifice that he shows for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now. Father, I just claim the beauty of the cross of Christ right now in our lives and in our church. And Father, I pray that we would see the mission as most essential right now. The mission to help as many people as possible know Jesus and to, to love like him. What we need is the love of Christ. And to do that, we must align ourselves with you and ask ourselves the question in this moment in history right now, what would you do, Jesus? How would you love our neighbors? How would you love our community? How would you love our government leaders? How would you love people that are different than us, that come from different backgrounds or different skin colors? How would you, Father, align us with Jesus? And Father, as we try to navigate these difficult waters, I pray you bring peace in our life. That you would bring us back to the statement that we sang in that first song, that you win, you fight every battle, that there is power in the name of Jesus, and we are going to see a victory. And so, Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your grace. Be with us this week. And, Father, I pray that you will keep us from drifting. Help us to stand up and to stand with you and for you and for your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, it's so good to have you with us today. And I just want to encourage you this week just to ask yourself, how have I drifted? And if you need to get back into alignment, I would encourage you, if you need prayer, if you need to connect with us, email us, say it on the chat, let us know so we can connect with you and just provide some emotional support and some direction in this time. So, in the month of June, open your homes, brunches, barbecues, small groups. If you need to sign up for Rooted, sign up for Rooted. But let's do this and let's keep the main thing the main thing. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Oh, 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 oh,